0: I want to thank uh, our two speakers who filled in for me the last couple of weeks. Les Mason, who's not here, he attends somewhere else, uh, had a a wonderful message. If you've not been able to hear that, uh, you can go back and watch that online. A very fiery message. I will not have quite the energy that Les has, but he did a fabulous job a couple of weeks ago sharing with us the importance of of a right Christian life. And then last week, thank you, Clint, for filling in. Uh, What a beautiful gospel message about being born again. Same thing, if you missed... The message last week that Clint had shared, you missed a great presentation of what the gospel is and how important it is that we know we have a right relationship with Christ and that we've been born again. You can watch that on our YouTube or Facebook last week if you missed that. I have not preached... The last three Sundays, which is really strange for me. That means it's been four weeks ago since I last was able to stand up here and preach a sermon. And uh, so, between having a singing group in and having COVID, um, it's been uh, it's been something I have sorely missed. Uh, and and so, what better sermon to jump back into preaching with than a sermon of, a sermon about giving and tithing? Doesn't that get you as excited as it gets me? And thank you for the amens. Yeah, good. I'm glad. Hannah said, you know, you're not supposed to advertise on Facebook when you do a tithing message or else nobody shows up. I want to thank you for seeing what the message content was this morning and coming anyways. Uh, Bless you. Here's the deal. I I don't like to... Preachers get a bad rap for doing tithing messages. I think you know me well enough to know that, that we don't ask for money every Sunday. But what I am convicted of is the fact that we preach the whole counsel of the Word of God. And so this morning, we're going to look at what the Bible tells us about giving. And it was pointed out to me by someone just in the last couple of weeks. This was supposed to be done two weeks ago, and so it's been on hold. When they were talking to me about this, I said, you know, it's important that we understand not just that we give, but what we're giving to and why we're giving. I think too often we, we hear tithing messages or giving messages or, or just messages in general from the Bible that says, the Bible says it, so just do it, which, by the way, is enough, right? For, for a mature Christian, that's enough. However, even mature Christians ask the question, why? Why? My son has just recently got into that question, and if you've got toddlers, you know that there comes a season where that question, why, is asked a million times, over and over and over and over again, even asking questions, why, that he already knows the answer to. Like, Dad, will you play a board game with me? Sure. Why? Because you asked me to, son. I don't know. (laughs) What color do you want to be when we play this board game? I'll be blue, son. Why? I don't know I like the color blue why do you like the color blue I just like it right we get our our kids a hard time for asking that question over and over and over again and eventually they grow out of asking that question outwardly but I'm here to share with you I don't think any of us ever leave that phase of life we like to know why why God do you do the things you do The mysteries of Scripture are are so great that some of those why questions never get answered. We have a lot of questions, especially when we go through difficult times. Why? Why is this happening? Why is this happening now? Why is this happening to me? Why, God, couldn't you do it a different way? And we ask these questions that we may or may not ever get answers to. Sometimes we read commands in Scripture and we ask why. There are several Old Testament commands. Now, we don't want to spend all of our time on them this morning, but you can look up some Old Testament commands that you ask, why, God, did you put that in there? That doesn't even make sense or doesn't seem relevant. Some of the whys we never get answers to, but this morning I want to tell you there is a why we give in Scripture. And so if you have your Bible, turn with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 9. We're going to read the whole chapter, verses 1 through 15. And as you're turning there, uh, I want to remind you that we preach all of Scripture because every word of it teaches us the why we believe what we believe. And so I'd like to make a habit, and I started this and then had three weeks off, but we're going to do this before every sermon, so you'll be prepared for it. Just to repeat these words, if you believe them to be true, to say them boldly after I share them. This morning, repeat these phrases if you confirm them. The Bible is the Word of God. God. What it teaches, I will believe. What believe. What What it commands, I will obey. And when it convicts, I will change always notice kind of a tail off towards that last one, but how important is it that when we approach the Word of God, we're reminded that it is God's Word, that when it teaches us, we must conform to it. I'm thankful for passages like 2 Corinthians 9 that give us a why behind some of these commands, and we're going to read them. In the context of this chapter is Paul writing to the church in Corinth about an offering that the area churches are collecting for the church in Jerusalem. The church in Jerusalem was, was a, a large church. It had a, a large gathering, but it was among the most persecuted churches and the poorest churches. While there were a lot of believers, there was a lot of opposition because it was the center of, of Judaism. And so to try to change what thousands of years people have learned about God and the coming Messiah, and to say the Messiah has come and it was this person of Jesus Christ, they were really, really struggling. And so Paul had organized all of the other area churches, and I don't mean area like around Jerusalem. I mean in the known world where churches were planted, Paul had arranged for a collection to be taken up so that he could bring it to the church in Jerusalem to assist them. And in this context, you're going to read some things that Paul has bragged about. The church in Corinth, especially, he knew would be generous. And he had told all the other churches that. This is, this is evangelism or uh, televangelism 101. Paul probably started this. He went over and he said, you guys want to give because, because the Corinthian church is going to really give. They're really going to give this amount, so you need to try to match and meet them. He'd been bragging at what the Corinthian church was going to do. And so now he's reminding them that he's coming to take up and collect that offering. The problem is, between announcing the offering, we need to collect for Jerusalem, and coming back and collecting it, there had been some strife in the church in Corinth. Some strife in the midst of the church and strife against Paul himself. Paul actually wrote five letters to the Corinthians. We have two that are recorded in God's Word, but he references several others. And we know of at least four and possibly five letters that Paul had written. And among these letters, we come to find out that some of them are saying Paul is not an apostle at all. That we don't need to listen and follow the teaching of Paul there are those who have decided Paul's teaching on salvation by grace is not enough. We need to work on salvation by works. You've got to do certain things and live a certain way. There are others who were teaching that, that yeah, you could accept this salvation and then live however you want and sin as much as you want and it was fine. It didn't matter because you were already saved. and So you had weird things like, like stepdads marrying stepdaughters. You had inappropriate acts going on throughout the church. Men who were were literally involved in incest that Paul had to say, get them out of the church. The church was a mess, and I'm sure the offering has been put on the back burner. In this context, Paul says, I'm reminding you of your need to continually and faithfully give. And so we read in 2 Corinthians 9, verses 1-15, through read this with me. Now it is superfluous for me to write to you about the ministry for the saints. For I know your readiness, of which I boast about you to the people of Macedonia, saying that Achaia has been ready since last year, and your zeal has stirred up most of them. Here's the reminder. I told everybody you had a big offering, and it has stirred people up to faithfulness. Verse 3, but I'm Sending the brothers so that our boasting about you may not prove empty in this matter, so that you may be ready as I said you would be. Otherwise, if some Macedonians come with me and find that you're not ready, we would be humiliated to say nothing of you for being so confident. So I thought it necessary to urge the brothers to go on ahead to you and arrange in advance the gift you have promised, so that it will be ready as a willing gift and not an exactation. In other words, we don't want to show up and go, alright guys, please can you give something? Paul wanted to show up and say, the church to say, we're ready and we're, we're giving out of a willing heart. The point is this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart. Not reluctantly, Or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. As it is written, He is distributed freely, He's given to the poor, His righteousness endures forever. He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing. And increase the harvest of your righteousness. You'll be enriched in every way to be generous in every way, which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. For the ministry of this service is not only about supplying the needs of the saints, but it is also overflowing in many thanksgivings to God. By their approval of this service, they'll glorify God because of your submission that comes from your confession of the gospel of Christ and the generosity of your contribution for them and for all others while they long for you and pray for you because of the surpassing grace of God upon you. Thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. There's a lot to take in there. And let me tell you, Paul is a master, a master of spin. (laughs) I don't mean that in a negative way. I mean that in the best way. I think Paul could have been a great car salesman. I really do. I think Paul could have shared... Uh, all the great things and reasons why a certain car was perfect for you. The difference is, Paul was not dealing with a car. Paul was dealing with the gospel. And his mindset is, I'm going to get you to know the word of God however you can. And so he tells them, remember how I bragged on your faithfulness? Remember how, how great and generous I told them you were? Let's not be embarrassed. Let's be ready when we come. And then he spins it, and he starts saying, it's not only about your generosity, but I want to tell you that your generosity is affecting the saints, and it's affecting the ministry and the work of God in ways that that you won't ever know. And when the people receive this gift, they're going to rejoice so much at your faithfulness and your generosity. You walk away from reading this letter going, I cannot wait to give this offering. I wish I could Modernize this wording every time before we collected the offering to be able to say, okay, guys, this is really exactly what you're doing. This is how you're giving, and here's how we get pumped up to to open our wallets and give our tithes and our offerings. Paul is a master at it, and I love as I read this because the church is going, you know what? I want to give now. This morning, I think we need to unpack what evokes this emotion in the church of Corinth. We have no idea whether their offering was generous or whether it was low, but we know this. We know that Paul gives biblical reasons why we should be giving. When we understand these, it, it motivates us to be generous. The first thing Paul says is that when you give, it maximizes joy. When you give, it maximizes joy. Now, this is counterintuitive to how we think, because letting go of money usually doesn't bring about joy in our lives, Right? If I came to you this morning, as a matter of fact, let's do a little experiment. Does anybody have a $100 bill they want to willingly give me? I'm not complaining on giving it back after the service. This isn't an example. Anybody in here have a $100 bill they willingly would like to give me this morning? Just for illustrative purposes? Nobody's going to find joy in giving away money this morning? What a shock, you know? We typically don't get excited about losing money. How many of you all look at your pay stub and you go, okay, here's what I started at and here's everything that taxes got paid and the government took. I'm so glad to be able to give that money to Uncle Sam. Anybody here rejoice at giving that money away? No, we don't find joy in giving naturally. There are a few exceptions. There are a few times that we really enjoy giving money away and that's when we know what we're receiving is greater than the amount we're giving. We have maximum joy when what we're investing in is a good investment. How many of you all have gotten really excited about buying a car? Anybody in here say, I was really excited about a car that I spent money on. Nobody likes their car. You guys need better vehicles, right? Some, some of you do. Yeah, I know the Bonnell bus does, absolutely. Clint's quiet over here, but he really enjoyed buying his Mustang a few years ago, and he really enjoyed selling it a couple of months ago as well. But well, we don't mind spending money when it's something exciting, right? How many of you all have ever found a really good deal somewhere? I mean, maybe it was at a clothing store, maybe it was at a yard sale, maybe it was on Facebook Marketplace, but you go, you know what, that is, that is an incredibly great deal. I would gladly give my money to receive it. Anybody find a good deal before? You joyfully handed over that money, Right? We don't mind giving. We joyfully give when what we receive is greater than what we give. Can I tell you this morning? Your investment in the kingdom of God always reaps more fruit than what you put into it. Always. Our giving maximizes our joy. As a matter of fact, Paul tells us that God loves it when we joyfully give to him. Verse 6 says, Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly, Or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. My goal in a tithing sermon is not to get you to want to give more. It's to get you to understand the joy of giving. Because there is joy that comes when we invest in the kingdom of God. And so this morning, I want you to know that there is joy in giving. Truth be told, I don't know that I've ever met a joyful or or, or a giving person who did not have joy. I'm I'm trying to rack my brain, and I'm trying to think if I knew somebody who was just an abundantly generous giver to the church and to, to others and lacked joy. I don't know that I've ever met someone like that. As a matter of fact, there is a strong correlation between joy and blessing and happiness and generosity. I don't know whether it's the chicken and the egg. I don't know if joyfulness produces giving or giving produces joyfulness, but I know this. They seem to go hand in hand. Paul's going to tell us, it's just a a verse before in verse 6, when he tells us that each person who sows sparingly will reap sparingly. And whoever sows bountifully will reap bountifully. The idea is the more you give, the more joy you will receive. The context of this is God loves a cheerful giver, a joyful giver, so give more and you will receive more joy. Now, don't take this verse out of context and say, if I give more and am generous more, then God is going to rain down blessings of financial prosperity on me. That's not what this verse says. What this verse says is if you sow and give generously, the joy you have in your life increases. There's actually more than just joy here, but the immediate context is God loves a cheerful giver. Ever find yourself down, wondering where your joy comes from? I can almost guarantee, based on scripture and personal experience, that if you will invest in the kingdom of God, not just financially, but service-wise, giving of your time and your talents, and yes, even giving of your tithes and offerings, if you invest And so, in the kingdom of God, your joy will increase. I promise. Giving maximizes joy, it brings about a joy in us that we cannot explain. Secondly, when we give, it furthers God's mission. It furthers God's mission. There's a reason why we give, and it's because God chooses to use us in His mission. We just read verse 6. We'll read it again. The point is this, whoever sows sparingly will reap sparingly, but whoever sows bountifully will reap bountifully. That does reference our joy, but can I tell you why we have a greater joy? It's because we will reap great rewards when we invest in the kingdom of God. The more you invest, the more God's work is done. Now, Something very important for you to know. We do this in our Discover FBC class. I make sure it's very clear there, and I want you to know this morning. First Baptist Church does not depend on one penny from your pocket. Not one. As a matter of fact, if nobody gave at this church, and God wanted us to keep our doors open, and wanted us to keep doing ministry, God would provide. Because we do not depend on what's in our pockets. However... What is really important to understand is in God's infinite grace and God's perfect will, he has chosen to use his people to accomplish his work. And so, quite literally, if nobody gave, the church probably would struggle because we would be sowing sparingly, and we would reap very little of ministry in our church. That's not to say God can't do it. It's God's wisdom is not to. God's wisdom is to use you and I. And when you give, it furthers the mission of God. But we see exactly what this point is just a couple of verses later in verse 8. It says, God is able to make all grace abound to you. He doesn't need your money. He can do that and make all grace abound to you so that you have all sufficiency in all things at all times. God provides for your every need. Why? Why? So that you may abound in every good work. Why does God bless you? Why does God give you anything so that you can carry on the mission of God? Every penny that you've ever collected, God's intention is that you ask, how can I bring you glory with what you've given me, God? Every single dollar that you have in your pocket, every single uh, bank account that you pull together, every single savings is for the purpose of us magnifying God's glory and abounding in every good work. God's desire is that you have so that you can give and invest. And when you give, it maximizes the work of God. A couple of verses later, verse 10 says the same thing. He who supplies the seed to the sower and bread for food, the one who gives generously to you will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest not of your pocketbook. Let's not get wealth, uh, you know, name it and claim it wealth here. What's increasing is a harvest of your righteousness, your works in God. The giving and the investment is so that the kingdom of God can further through our local church. So, what do your tithes go to? When we pass the offering plate, what does that money go to? Well, certainly a lot of it goes to turning lights on, keeping the Sanctuary to a comfortable temperature. Thank you, Odie, for that. A lot of it goes to uh, keeping us um, uh, water running and uh, utilities up to date, the gas bill being paid, repairs on the building so that we can meet here. We have all the boring minutia. A lot of it goes to, to just everyday tasks. But that's the boring side of what it goes to. We do all that so that we can invest in in our children. Did you know our jam ministry... It teaches our kids more Bible than I think a lot of our adult Sunday school classes do. That's not to knock our adult Sunday school classes. That's to mean they're singing songs about the Bible that we're not singing, right? How many of you all in an adult Sunday school class can say all 66 books of your Bible right now? One, and you know a song from Awana, don't you? A children's ministry taught you that, didn't it? Our jam kids can. They know it. Our quest kids They come out with toys on Sunday morning. My my son's playing with a poppet right now. He got, you know why? Because he's memorized a passage of scripture. How many of you all have memorized a passage from your adult Sunday school class this week? Anybody? Our kids are learning the word of God on Wednesday nights and Sunday mornings at a level that puts us as adults to shame. And that's not to knock our Sunday school teachers. We've got some great adult classes. I've got you in my notes as well. But it's to say our kids that we're investing in at our church Are learning and growing in amazing ways. Our youth, our youth group, in the middle of a pandemic, grew in number and in salvations. When everything else was shrinking back, our teenagers met weekly. Hannah says all the time, brag on our kids for a minute. Last summer, when they were meeting outside, she went through the book of Habakkuk. How many of you all have done an in depth study on Habakkuk recently? Not a whole lot. And our kids kept coming and inviting friends. Our youth group has grown. Why? Because our church invests in our children and our youth. All right, let's talk about our adult Bible studies for just a minute. We have some amazing Sunday school teachers. I I love to hear weekly of Tracy's class. He comes in and he talks to me about uh, parables that they've been going through and and upcoming studies that they're getting ready to do and the, the talks that they have in their class iron sharpening iron. Our Sunday school class that we're in meets back here, and, and Monty and Hannah teach that together, and, and we get to study the Word of God week in, week out. Just this morning, I was blessed to hear how each one of us in there could, could have assurance of our salvation, to know that God is bigger than our sin. Our adults get to, get to gather together and study the Word of God. When you give your tithes and offerings, it helps pay for curriculum, it, it helps set the stage so that we can have some fantastic studies. How about non-Sunday morning studies? Our women's ministry have done studies on Sunday afternoons. We're starting a study this afternoon at our house. Uh, We've got right now media that we provide to our church, and I don't know how many of you all have said studies that I've done at home have really impacted and helped me in these ways. We have some great resources and Bible studies for our adults. What about outreach? Outreach. But we've got several outreaches. One of our biggest ones right now is going on to many of you who are watching online because our church has given generously. We've invested a lot of time, energy, and finances into making sure that we can get the Word of God out as much as possible. I, I can't say it's monthly, but it feels like it's at least once a month. I've got someone who private messages me and says, I've not been able to come, but I've watched, and the message, the music, this announcement this ministry has touched me in this way thank you for sharing that online i had one gentleman as far away as south america even pre-pandemic send me a message and say i caught your message online and i appreciate your encouragement in this way your giving gets the gospel message to literally the ends of the earth how about our local ministries Our church is involved in in giving to several local ministries. One of my favorites that you hear me talk about from time to time is Ark of the Covenant Soup Kitchen. The fact that we are able to give monthly to Ark of the Covenant Soup Kitchen and then invest in serving and doing feeds people in our community. The gospel is presented to them as they enjoy a, a free meal that they wouldn't otherwise have. Several other outreaches and ministries that we have through the school system. Through, through local benevolence funds, we have and are able to do because of your generosity. Now, does God need our money to do any of these ministries? The answer is no. God can do what he wants. But God, in his ultimate wisdom, has chosen to use the giving of the church to provide these resources, these outreaches, these evangelisms. I didn't even get to talk about our our missionaries that we support. I didn't even get to talk about the mission trips that we're able to do and be a part of, or, or events that we host here at the church. I didn't even get to talk about evangelism training that we've done. There are so many things at our church that we've been blessed to do because of the generosity and giving of others. Before we move on, can I hit a sad reality? We have never stopped a ministry for lack of funds. Never. But there have been times that a lack of funds have been a reason I've had to prayerfully decline doing a ministry at First Baptist Church. That breaks my heart. You realize that if we faithfully and cheerfully give, we would never say no to a ministry, ever. We would never have to decline it for the reasons of financial lack. If each person just gave faithfully, I don't mean mean everybody gives 50% of their salaries. I mean if everybody tithes biblically, they're 10%. We never have to say no to a ministry, ever, because of financial reasons. We give that way. We probably have every event scholarship so that people can come for free to hear the Word of God. Our vacation Bible school would never be hindered, not that it is now, but would never be hindered on decorations. Your budget would be out the the window. Our resources for teaching crafts and Bible study and music would be, would be immense. We, we would never have to say, I'm sorry, I know that would help, but why don't we try a different route because we just can't quite pull it. Your giving, God uses to further the mission of God. And so I want you to know, I'm not asking you this because somehow my salary is affected by your giving. A lot of preachers will say, give more because they get a percentage. It doesn't work that way. The church votes on my salary and it's done. As a matter of fact, if you give, you give to the church. You don't give to a person. So I ask you to give and invest in the kingdom of God. It's been several years ago, pre-pandemic, actually early on in my ministry here. Someone from the church came to me who was kind of responsible for, um, for overseeing some of my ministry and budget stuff. They weren't on finance, but they were, they were involved in I said, Pastor, we we want to do a mission trip next year. You want us to do a mission trip next year. If we do a mission trip next year, we're just going to have a hard time increasing your salary. What do you think about that? Well, first of all, that's the wrong way to approach things, but that's okay. I I have no qualms at all. I said, we're going on that mission trip, and you pray about what you can do with a salary. I don't care. Because the ministry of God is what we invest in at this church. And I'm so thankful and grateful for a church who gives to ministries. We're going to move on to our last point, but I I can't hammer this home enough. God doesn't need your money, but he desires to use you and bless you and bring you joy in your investment. The last reason why why we give is because ultimately it honors God. And this is the reason that we could have spent our entire sermon on. Doesn't resonate with everybody the same way, but can I tell you this one hits me more than any of the others? That when I give, it's not ultimately giving to a church. It's not ultimately honoring a building. It's not ultimately honoring a congregation. It's honoring to God. Verse 9 is an Old Testament quote from Psalms. It says, as it's written, He's distributed freely, He's given to the poor, and His righteousness endures forever. God gives generously. God has given to the poor, and God receives glory and honor. Every ministry, every action, everything you and I do through First Baptist Church is ultimately not us doing anything. It's God using us to do great things. And Paul says, when this church in Corinth gives generously, his righteousness will endure forever. The rest of the chapter I want to read again, 10 through 15. Listen to how many times Paul references God's glory or his honor. He who supplies the seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. You'll be enriched in every way to be generous in every way, which through us will produce what? Thanksgiving to God. Your giving ultimately is an act of thankfulness to God. The ministry of this service is not only for supplying the needs of the saints, it's not just for for furthering the ministry, but it's an overflowing in many thanksgivings to God. Your giving is overflowing in many thanksgivings to God. By their approval of this service, they will glorify God because of your submission that comes from your confession of the gospel of Christ and the generosity of the contribution for them and for all others. While they long for you, they pray for you because of the surpassing grace of God upon you. And he closes out verse 15. Thanks be to who? Not to the Corinthian church for giving. Not to the people who are collecting. Not to any individual. Thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. The gift that the Corinthian church is going to collect to give to Jerusalem is not a gift from the Corinthian church. It's a gift from God. Every act of of service, every amount of giving, every bit of investing and sowing in the kingdom of God is to bring Him glory and to bring Him honor. Ultimately, when we think about honoring God with our tithes and with our offerings, we're reminded that when we give, it's reflection of us saying, "God, you are worthy, and I am not. I trust you with my finances and not myself." In this way, our stewardship of what God gives us really is equal and akin to our understanding of lordship and obedience. When we give, it's a way that we say, God, you're worthy and I'm not. You deserve it and I don't. So this morning as we contemplate our giving at our church, some of you sit back and say, I'm faithfully tithing and giving and I bless you for that. Others of you say, I'm faithfully giving, but I've got no joy in doing it. It hurts me every time I do. I hope you'll be reminded of how God is using your investment. Others of you are saying, I've, I've dropped off, or I'm not giving at all. Or I'm giving very little because I, I, just, I just don't see the return. Can we be reminded this morning that God's desire is to increase joy in your life through your giving? To remind you of your investment through his local church? in the community and in the discipleship of our church family. We remind you that you honor God when you trust him with what he's given you. My hope and prayer is not that you reluctantly give this morning because you heard a tithing message. If that's the case, this morning's offering will be up and next week's offering will be down. It'll balance out. Not worried about that. What I'm wondering is if we can start discovering the joy of giving. We can start understanding the why we give is not because we want to see a certain amount in a bank account, but because we know it's an investment in the eternity of souls and in the kingdom of God.